0: Just stay.
1: Welcome to our worship today on the 1st of August 2021. What a wonderful invitation to come just as we are before the throne of God, knowing that we are accepted as part of God's family and we are invited to feast on Christ, the bread of life. Let's begin our worship today by hearing from the word of God. Alan White reads to us from John chapter 6.
2: The Gospel reading is from John chapter 6, verses 24 to 35. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, When did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them very truly I tell you it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty.
1: I do hope that today we are like those people who got into their boats and went and tried to find where Jesus was so they could hear more of what he had to say. Even if for us today all it means is logging into our computer or switching on our phone, it's still true as Jeremiah said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus said, knock and the door will be opened, keep on knocking. This great old hymn expresses that longing so well, beyond the sacred page I seek thee Lord, my spirit pants for thee, thou living word. When the journey is long and we hunger and thirst Bread of Life, you sustain us. When the road is hard and our bodies weak Bread of Life, you heal us. When our spirits are low and we can't carry on Bread of Life, you revive us. When we offer our hand in love and in service bread of life you bless us when the challenge is great and the workers are few bread of life you empower us when the victory is won and we see your face bread of life you will rejoice with us lord god We seek all of these things. We need you to sustain us, to heal us, to revive us, to bless us, to empower us and to rejoice with us. May we know the presence of your Holy Spirit as you feed us today with your words of life through your son Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. are all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. In our reading we heard Jesus say I am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Hunger and thirst are such primal needs we know what it feels like to be parched and to feel starved and we can translate that into expressing a hunger and a thirst for God, a deep desire and longing to feel that we are righteous, that our hearts and souls are right with God. That comes when we do what the song describes, wait for God, fall on our knees before him, offer our whole selves to him. Whatever our sins and failures, however broken we feel ourselves to be, God will hear us, forgive us and set our feet back on the right path. We'll see this today in our story about one of the lowest points in the life of David. This story is not the David who God described as a man after my own heart, the David of courage and integrity who pours out his heart to God throughout the whole book of Psalms. You God are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. That's Psalm 63. Now it's not that David. It's the David who fell into temptation and entangled himself in a web of deceit and murder following his adultery with Bathsheba. It's a story about what happens when leaders lose their moral compass and believe that they can do whatever they like with no personal repercussions. But by the end we're reminded again of the immense patience and grace of God and we will, I hope, be much slower to point the finger at others. The reading begins with David thinking it was all settled, forgotten and in the past breathing a sigh of relief that he's managed to keep everything covered up. But his sin was about to find him out as he's challenged by his prophet Nathan. Let's hear what happened and then we'll relate the whole story and just see what lessons there are for us in this very miserable tale.
2: The Old Testament reading is from the second book of Samuel, chapter 11, verse 26, through to chapter 12, verse 13. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children it shared his food drank from his cup and even slept in his arms it was like a daughter to him now a traveller came to the rich man but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him instead He took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel." then david said to nathan i have sinned against the lord nathan replied the lord has taken away your sin you are not going to die
1: you might remember that in our service two weeks ago we were also talking about an encounter between david and his prophet nathan But that was a very different context. David wanted to build a temple. It was a good thing to do, but it was not the right thing at the time. God tells him that on the contrary, it's God's intention to build a house for him. God pours out on him all sorts of promises and blessings. He would found a dynasty that would culminate in the Messiah, the true temple, the great high priest and the ultimate sacrifice. This story is very different. Nathan's not now encouraging and directing and correcting David as he was last time. He's rebuking him very sternly. And yet this too is all part of the story of David's dynasty and the human lineage of the Messiah. Some people say, point out, that it's one of the marks of the the truthfulness of the Bible, that these stories about the great saints, the great heroes of our religion are there. The writers don't shy away from some of the awful things that they did. The heroes of the faith, the Messiah's ancestors are portrayed in all their human deceitfulness and darkness. Who does that? Who writes such sordid accounts of those who are the pillars of your religion? unless they're true. The Bible writers don't shy away from recognising the common clay out of which God brings glory and salvation. So here's the story. Let's learn from it what we can. It begins in Second Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, that's how it starts, Border disputes always continued and there were battles to be fought, but David, the warrior leader, sent someone else to do the fighting for him, Joab, his general. Joab's mission was successful, but the writer reminds us again, David remained in Jerusalem. He seems to be indicating that in shirking his responsibilities in this way, he began the train of events which led to all the mischief that was to follow he wasn't doing his duty and the devil found work for idle hands one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace it was the end of another hot day and he was enjoying the cool evening breeze no doubt from the roof he saw a woman bathing the woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. I like what the writer Nick Fawcett says about this. This is what he says. On guard. According to Hollywood, at least these are the words that used to precede a sword fight in years gone by. It would have been considered unchivalrous not to give one's opponent due warning and time to prepare for battle. Unfortunately, when it comes to temptation, the attack is very different. It comes without warning, unsought, unexpected, nine times out of ten, taking us by surprise. I'm sure from our own experience we can echo that thought. David saw and he didn't look away, and adultery was conceived in his heart. Jesus spoke about the power of sexual desire in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he said. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember the old Sunday school song, Be careful little eyes what you see. So much that causes us to stumble comes through our eyes, our physical eyes or the eyes of our imagination. We're not immune to impure thoughts, but the issue is what we do with them. C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher, had this very memorable saying, You can't stop the birds from flying round your head, but you don't have to let them roost in your hair. David finds out that Bathsheba is the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of his most famous and trusted warriors. If you look at 1 Chronicles chapter 11, Uriah is listed among his 30 prominent fighting men. And Uriah was away fighting David's wars for him. Seeing an opportunity, David sends messengers to fetch her and he sleeps with her. Just to make things worse, the writer adds that this was just after her period and she was ritually unclean and also incidentally at her most fertile. So she returns home and sure enough, soon afterwards, sends word that she's pregnant. David now begins to cover things up. First he sends to the battlefield for Uriah to bring him a report. After a few fairly inconsequential, meaningless questions, he sends him home with a gift encouraging him to spend the night with his wife so that the pregnancy would appear to be his doing. But Uriah has all the honour that David lacks. He sleeps on the floor with his servants. David questions him and he replies... The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. What a striking difference between Uriah's honour and David's dishonour. David even gets him drunk, but he still wouldn't bend. He still wouldn't dishonour himself as a soldier. David's second plan is more brutal. See how you spiral downwards when you start on a course like this. He writes a message to Joab, the general, telling him to put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle and then to retreat and leave him isolated so he's killed. And Uriah carries this message, his death sentence with him as he returns to the camp and to the battlefield. The plan succeeds and Joab writes his reports to David including the information that a number of his men had been killed. The king may be angry at this, he tells the messenger. And he may say, haven't you learned any lessons? Haven't you seen what happened in times past when you isolated your men like this? Look at the men who are dead. So tell him, that Uriah also died. David receives the news and he sends a reply to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. What he's saying is, that's what happens in battles. It's not your fault. These things happen. Just let us all sink in for a minute. It's a devious plot worthy of Hollywood. David's lust leads him to making Bathsheba, another man's wife, pregnant, and he covers it up by murder. And Uriah, in effect, dies because he is an honourable man who refuses to enjoy the comfort of his wife while his fellow soldiers are at war. We are horrified at the arrogance of David's behaviour. But then we're reminded of stupid and arrogant things we've done ourselves and the pointing finger starts to waver. David's conscience doesn't appear to be troubled. And after a time of mourning, Bathsheba becomes David's wife and bears him a son. Everything's fine then. He's got what he wanted, a beautiful wife, a son, And the whole story seems to have died but the thing David had done displeased the Lord now what the Prophet Nathan does is very wise rather than challenging David outright he gets David to condemn himself by telling him a story about a poor man whose only lamb is taken by his rich neighbour to feed a guest when he had abundant flocks of his own. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Now this hits right home with me, I don't know about you. How self-righteous we can get when we see what others are doing wrong, obvious wicked things, yet how slow we are to see our own faults. Jesus hits the nail on the head, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Look at everything I've given you, God says to David. I made you king. You took all the wives of Saul as your own. I gave you all Israel and Judah. I would have given you more if this wasn't enough. But you despised me. And therefore I will bring calamity on your house. What you've done in secret will be done publicly to you. This is what he says. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. This is very uncomfortable to read in many ways, not least in the way that women were treated effectively, just as the spoils of war, as political pawns, symbols of who was in power. These were very different and very harsh times. It's taken centuries to see even the beginnings of a change in this demeaning status of women. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It's fair to ask whether David was sorry because he defended God or because because he was going to face dire consequences for his actions. They're not the same thing. I'd like to think David truly repented. And if you're in any, any doubt, you can read his own words in Psalm 51. As Christians, thank God, we live in a different time of God's grace. Christ has died and there's now no condemnation, whatever our sin. God doesn't punish us when we go our own way. Rather, as the writer of the letter to the Hebrews tells us, he disciplines us as a father in order to set us straight. But sin has consequences and they're not always easily undone. are sadly so many cases of prominent christian leaders getting caught in exactly the way that david did and seeing their ministry crumble to say nothing of the disgrace brought on the church and the gospel this is not an ancient story it's a story and a warning for us today don't ever think that you're immune watch and pray jesus said so that you will not fall into temptation the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. The consequences for David were great. As prophesied, his house would rise up against him. His son Absalom would take over the throne and drive David into exile. And the throne would only be regained at the cost of the death of Absalom, along with many others. But more immediately, the son Bathsheba bore David would not live. This is very hard for us to come to terms with. For David, it was a devastating time. He pleaded with God. He fasted and spent his nights dressed in sackcloth lying on the ground. For seven nights this went on and then the child died. No one wanted to tell him for fear that it would drive him over the edge. He heard people Whispering in the corner and he realised what had happened. His response was not what they expected. He washed, changed his clothes, went to the house of God and worshipped. What does worship mean to us? Is it joyful praise and singing or quiet meditation on God's goodness, sitting in a comfortable chair? For David, worship was submitting to God's will, however hard and incomprehensible it seemed at the time. He's pleaded with God, but God has not given him the answer he wanted. For David, that was a reason to hold God closer rather than to reject him. What a truly miserable story. It shows us how sin can destroy lives and how careful we must be when we're tempted. It's not a light thing to disobey and disregard God. But there is grace in this story as well. See what it goes on to say. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went into her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon, the Lord loved him. The name Solomon is derived from the word peace and we've already referred to the fact that Solomon was a king who presided over a really peaceful time in Israel but interestingly enough it's also very similar to a Hebrew word which means replacement. (laughs) So Solomon, Israel's most splendid and wise king Ancestor of the Messiah is the product of this really unhappy episode. Nothing leads God down a dead end, he brings victory out of defeat. Jumping ahead, the Messiah would be reviled, rejected, and put to death. But his death would be a victory, he would free captives, forgive sinners, and bring his children to glory. No place is so dark, no situation so bad that God's light of hope cannot shine. Are you in a dark place at the moment? Through circumstances or through your own fault? Be encouraged by this story. This is what David says in Psalm 30 and it's a fitting ending to this reflection. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Amen.
3: to despair And though I might fail to trust your promises You never fail to hear my prayer And if you charged my sin I'd never stand again but I see mercy in Your hands. So more than watchmen. Th- are unresolved Don't change the wisdom of your will In every trial and loss My hope is in the cross Where your compassions never fail So mother Passions never fail.
1: So now let's pray for ourselves and for others in need. Heavenly Father, we're disturbed by the story we've heard today because it reminds us. Of the sin that's in the world today and that still lingers in our own hearts may we be sensitive to your rebukes and your coaxing in our lives may we be quick to recognize sin for what it is quick to repent and firm in our determination to change our ways we know what it is to be tempted to despair And we pray for all those with so much more reason for despair than we have. For women treated as objects, subjected to abuse and powerless to escape their situations. For honourable people who suffer because of their integrity in public and private life. We pray for those who stand up for truth and rebuke the arrogance and dishonesty of the powerful. May their voices be strong, and may their voices be heard. And we pray, Lord, about the hard questions we face each day, the challenges to our faith as we read your word and as we think about what's happening in our world, the difficult decisions we have to make and the opinions we form about the moral issues we're surrounded with. We pray for wisdom. We pray that our thoughts and views will be moulded by your truth and not by the strident voices of the media, and that when we hear your voice we will not be afraid to speak out for what is right. And Lord, at this time, we pray for your mercy on the earth as we suffer the ravages of COVID and the rapidly advancing threat of climate change. We remind ourselves that this is your world and that you have promised that until you return, there will always be summer and winter, seed time and harvest. May we work with you as you call us to be good stewards of your property as we journey towards the new heaven and the new earth. Bread of heaven, feed us. Water of life, refresh us. In the name of Christ, our Lord and Saviour, our only hope. Amen. guidance of god may we never cease to sing songs of praises and may the grace of the lord jesus christ the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us now and evermore amen